Hello, I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. Today's episode is about the CHIPS Act and global supply chain of silicon and manufacturing and how we build advanced, innovative products and companies. We take that apart into its component parts, supply chains, raw materials, power, weather, uh, talent, real estate, and put it back together in ways that look forward towards how we think these forces and global politics are going to shape manufacturing for the next decade. Um, absolutely fascinating and critical discussion that will impact every single person's, both their careers and frankly what they can buy on the store shelves. I know you will enjoy this episode. It's also hot on the heels of the, the news about Intel's new shenanigans. Ooh, I was going to bring that up. Do you want to lay it out? Did you hear? Well, oh, the, the TLDR is that they, they basically got, uh, oh, what, $67 billion, no strings attached. And they decide to cut uh, manufacturing in, in, in the U.S. by, by $4 billion. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. Could you, could you fill that this? in? I, I'm, yeah. I'm missing this. I'll find the link. So, so Intel got uh, essentially like a a, a a a stipend from the U.S. government, sixty-seven billion dollars, to to bring in more my uh, more chip manufacturing in, into North America. To, so to expand. Hot on the heels of that, they announced that they're going to cut spending on um, on chip manufacturing in North America by $4 billion. So where's that, all that money going now? Well, um, there are a couple things to be considering there. When there's, there's, first of all, if you look at the CHIPS Act, one of the things that all of the fabless chip makers and and the fab oriented ones need to do is consider the geographic uh, alliances because basically what it says is take the money but you are in a serious oversight situation with regard to investment or deals in china with china or with other countries that are deemed um, a, a security threats or or uh, with with whom we're having some sort of an economic uh, tussle. So one of the one of the thoughts in many of the cases seems to be fine. Um, I will as a you know, as a part of the policy, take the money, but I have to establish a different set of um, partnerships, both with companies in the US who take responsibility for other parts of the, the whole process, not just fab, but test, packaging, distribution, and so forth, as well as establish 
a policy with regard to other countries. So one of the thoughts in many of the cases has been, all right, do we invest in, do we take some of that money, recognizing that we can't have the same relationships with countries that we've had before, and encourage the creation of fabs or other parts of the process in the Americas or other parts of the world that are not subject to these kinds of constraints. So think of Mexico, things of various kinds of various parts of South America. That means that all of the, the ways in which the ecosystem has developed now almost by definition has to change. The roles have to change. And that means not necessarily that you're going to build, always going to build fabs in the in the U.S., that you could build fabs elsewhere. What you're going to build in the U.S., what part of it is you going to take responsibility for is going to change. The other issue is um, formal recognition of the fact that certain essential silicon has to be fab in a safe location the us somebody that we you know we trust you know completely or, or a place we trust completely for the military side of it because that's a, an incredibly big issue for um defense and that's another issue that they're 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 wrestling with so it's it's not necessarily that somebody is lining their pockets um, with this. They're taking money in advance of CHIPS Act. They're figuring out how to reallocate it and, re and, in my mind, change the whole nature of the way the chip business works. They, I mean, and they also had a big loss for the first time. And I mean, this is them not, you know, I, the optics are crap. <laughs> yeah, particularly since they decide to pay out dividends uh, in, in, instead of putting that that money in, uh, like, like reduce dividends and, and not put the money towards the, the fab. So, uh, yeah, I I I don't disagree that that there is um, reasons for um, for for needing to. To cut back on, on on fab, especially given that their history. Uh, however, however, yeah, the 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 thing that re looks really bad on them is where they're putting their money instead. And mm -hmm. have they have they been making any clear indications as to where they're putting the money? Dividends. Well, stockholders. Okay, so mm. pardon. They're paying they the increased dividends. Yeah, they increase dividends. Okay, but you you know that the Chips Act does not cover foundry. Yeah, actually, I but I I don't know enough about the Chips Act, so I, I would love to be educated about what what you see from that perspective because I I have a ton of questions like mix the mix of semiconductors, you know what the Chips Act is actually going to do for us. Um, well, personally based on what I hear coming out of Israel and other places and Intel, and I have a long relationship. 
um, they're looking at building foundries as opposed to fabs. Because right. not every fab is a foundry. That's right. Uh, and I don't understand that. What's the difference? Rich, I'm going to ask you to explain it because I'm not putting the words together well. Foundry, well, think of the think of the production process. And um, if you deliver, think of it as kind of raw materials to a to a finished product. It's okay. probably the biggest is probably the biggest way of, of explaining it. It's it is it is nasty, but basically there are there's componentry that goes into the construction of um, construction of chips. Fabs is the final fabrication is the final is the final. Uh, mm, okay. a, it is it is the packaging. It well, you have various kinds of testing um packaging a lot of the a lot of the loss gets taken at in, in the fabrication side of it then oh. think of it think of it that way it's like there's a there's a real mandate you know for fabs to be extremely methodical and extremely uh Precisely, kind of disciplined in what they in what they deliver, and their lead times for the two fabrication and foundries it's different too. So, yeah. um, so, so when when I think about like them drawing a silicon wafer and and doing you know like the wafers and then engraving the wafers, those are those are foundries then, not fabs, which yes. I had reversed. Okay, that's, I've been thinking about the correct. backwards. Okay. That's correct. Yeah, so so they're doing a lot of R and D work and development, not only towards quantum, but also the um, the nanometer height of the chip, the composition of the silicon, the prepackaging, the drilling, tool and die in layout, uh, the lithography that's used, the types of lithography that are right. being used, all of that is. I that's basically foundry stuff and the yeah. chips act does not cover any of that. So for them to take like what Intel does in Israel, they have fab and they have foundry and start recreating those kinds of capabilities in the U S look Southwest U S number one, because you need a lot of sand. Yeah. But you also need a lot of water. Body. Yes. Agreed. Um, but they're looking at also exporting some of that technology out of Israel, by the way, yeah. not only for desalinization, but also for um, wastewater, white water reuse. Mm -hmm. And so I believe that the direction is going to be more around the foundry work to be able to set up for fab either in Monterey, Mexico, which is under the Macchiadoria, where all the electronics moved at the in, in the late 90s, early 2000s. There's right. tons and tons of factories in Monterey, um, mm. including all of uh, all of their um, uh, trading partners. Um, and I think because it's not covered under chips, you're going to see other foundries start up. Qualcomm. Yep. Foxconn. 
what was supposed to happen in that, you know, Scott, whatever his name is, $26 billion deal in Wisconsin that never happened, uh-huh. where they hired yeah. 88 yeah. people out of 13,000. Yeah, look for that to be relocated <laughs> closer to where more of the action is yeah. or will be. Unless they can afford to do it in Wisconsin, which to me, trucking and logistics and the fact that you don't have major airports there, um, I I don't see that Heartland becoming the new foundry or fabless facility for an Intel or anybody else. I, I could see... I could see it being in Georgia. I could see it being in California or or the southwest part of the U.S. Yeah. because of the location of materials, but not elsewhere. Yeah, there's there's reason to think that it it could be uh, California and northern Mexico, for example, as yeah. a, as a geog- geography. Um, the Monterey area that you just mentioned also has a lot to offer. It probably needs to be somewhere near um ocean or you know basically salt uh, salt you know salt water because freshwater freshwater sources in the same areas are not very not very plentiful and they're already heavily uh heavily hit so desalinization technology is a big part of it other parts of the of the thing that i wonder about are for example single source you know anything that's a single source kind of aspect to the to the ecosystem. For example, advanced lithography. I mean, quite frankly, advanced lithography all lives in in the Netherlands. The, mm-hmm. the source of the source of advanced lithography for uh, the chip um, the chip industry is almost exclusively in the Netherlands. Is that as a Consequences like the Nokia's and the, the cell, cell technologies. Atmel, uh, it may have grown up there. Uh, don't know. It's, oh. it's it's a combination of kind of the the evolution of the of the optical and in, optics industries that were Netherlands and Germany and. Um, mm-hmm. oh, it's amazing. It's had. amazing the history on this on this stuff. How slow things actually move. Well, you know that a lot of the electronics industry has facilities in Hungary, in Poland, Lithuania. Uh, what they did was they, they and I've, I think I've said this before, they marched in at, at the as soon as they could and bought up all the vacant space that they could possibly find old Soviet era factories that that the newly democratized nations were not able to use. They They bought them as fast as they could. And they've been sitting on them for years, but Intel, Celestica, JBIL, uh, which is Flex basically, uh, Sanmina, all have factories in um, right. in Hungary, in Poland, Lithuania, that whole area of what used to be the Eastern Bloc. Yeah. So there, I mean, this whole, this whole move of, you know, kind of reducing single sources and distributing it and then segmenting the the kinds of semiconductors that are are required <clears throat> is really you know this is going to be a 
you know, a decade long reshuffle and change in, in the whole, the whole industry. And it's, you know, we're not going to see much with respect to the impact of the CHIPS Act before 2025 at the earliest. And that will be kind of piddling, quite frankly. It's much more around, um, you know, the five and 10 year uh, horizon that we're looking at. Um, do, you, do you think this is going to impact, you know, Advanced. So, so this, this is where I think to me get I you know I get interested on a couple of levels. But some of what y'all are talking about is advanced chip technologies, right? Next generation stuff, the the quantum's. There's smaller chipsets that are currently getting blocked, like for phones and um, you know laptops and things like that. That that would go into IoT and consumer and. Having multiple sources on that, like from a military perspective, makes a ton of sense. And having excess capacity would drive the cost down. It create an IoT boom. And then you have sort of the heavy, the, the base stuff, which is the silicon that's going to drive cloud, routers, switches, stuff like that. Um, I mean, the, what I'm what I'm hearing though is the the, the funding is going to end up going towards this easy fab, the small fab, right? Small footprint chips our IoT type stuff and the next gen stuff, next gen pieces. Does it change the supply chain on RAM, memory chips and storage yeah. and stuff like that? Yeah, well, you know, this is, if you think about the amount of investment that's going to, re, that's going to be required, right. I mean, this is, I, I won't say a drop in the bucket, but it's, it's not anywhere close to covering the, Covering the whole thing. This sure. is a this is a a, a cat. This is meant to be a catalyst, and and if mm-hmm. if we're looking at this now, you know, in, in this in this context, they're gonna they're gonna be looking for a lot of other kind of means of generating investment. They're gonna be looking to rebalance the man, manufacturing strategies, just as we've discussed. Yeah. Um, there's going to be completely new set of partners to be dealt with regarding, you know, back end assembly, the the testing, device packaging, um, you know, the the integrated device manufacturers and the foundries are going to have to look at all sorts of new technology and new new means mm-hmm. to do effective, you know, fab capacity, but. You can also look at this and say, look, you know, we've been living with a, you know, I won't say a slowly evolving fab capacity, you know, because everything is TSMC, but we're still living on the backs of technologies that many of them are 15, you know, 10 or 15 years old, even for the most advanced. So is it a chance to generate a new, you know, kind of, do something unusual and do something new. So that's a, you, you, it almost sounds like you're saying that because we lost the leadership position and gave gave up a lot of that technology, this is essentially a catalyst that might help leapfrog us as we rebuild. We're going to be rebuilding using you know, new, potentially new new stuff in an optimistic, an optimistic in an op- optimistic scenario. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's actually uh, one of the things that I'm, I'm a little bit 
disappointed about that. And this is not a super serious comment here, but um, over the last 20 years, we've had so, so many dreams about fabbing technology in space, like asteroid mining and, and, and manufacturing mm. right there. I'm yeah. very disappointed that we haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> Reminds me of a movie I once saw. I forget the name of it. I think I slept through half of it. But the thing that... Not a ringing I, endorsement. Yeah, no. I, I'm not a big sci-fi person. Um, I, I'm too pragmatic for that. Um, but the thing that, to your point, Rob, the industrial side of the manufacturing, not the actual fabrication or making of the chipset or semicon yes. industry, it's the back end uh, specialized FPGA or whatever ASICs that mm. will be used in automotive manufacturing, in industrial, in oil and gas, in you know different forms of mining. You're going to need a whole new industry for that because that stuff has not changed in many, many, many years. I mean, I would say 2025. Yeah, at least 2025, because I know how long I've been in that industry and the industry that I was in before and and the ones in between, that sort of stuff that's now being taken over by a lot more by robotics than it is by computing resources, you're going to have to develop very specialized devices. And I think in part to Rich's point, the the CHIPS Act is the catalyst to bring back that kind of manufacturing. And that is sorely needed because you can't produce robotics, you can't produce sophisticated PLCs and other back-end, you know, low-level, super cheap componentry, all that went to China years and years and years ago. You just don't have the factories to do it. How much can you 3D print? A good percentage, but you don't have factories set up to make 3D printers right? either. So <laughs> these are the back-end. And actually, kind of- to Klaus's point, I, I kept wondering whether, you know, off-planet, off man, off Planet Fab was going to be the you know the kickstart for 3D, and I, for some reason I I associated you know low gravity or no gravity as being you know something that would that would make that possible. It it hasn't happened. I think that more immediate the 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 partner ecosystem is going to change radically outside of the americas is there any place that might show up and be maybe not immediately but um basically fostered you know a a fostered semiconductor industry i mean i think about you know is there is there going to be a um is there going to be a move afoot to um, invest in India or other parts of Southeast Asia? Is there, you know, is there any part of Africa that's substantially 
is considered stable enough economically, politically, that companies are going to be willing to uh, establish themselves there. And I'm not saying yeah, yeah. every part of the every part of the, the 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 manufacturing chain, but what parts are possible? Well, okay. Oh, go ahead, Klaus. Yeah. Uh, just uh, I I I, I would think that there might be some benefit in bringing uh, the yeah the the low level manufacturing closer to the source of the materials. So mm. I I would look at where are the materials in the first place. I, I know in Chile that there is lithium and, and, and nickel mines. Um, in, in Africa, there there's uh, several semiconductor related materials that are being mined there. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, China got, is ahead, like with their with their Belt and Road in, initiative, and in, in that they're essentially draining those materials out of other places and bringing them. Right. Home. Could, could this turn into? Boy, I have a, a whole series of questions, and I'm disrupting my own my own list. But could this turn into a micro foundry, like yes. the the combination of you know, 3D printing becoming uh, you know, a more pre prevalent manufacturing approach, which while maybe not faster, is much more small footprint and dynamic. And, mm -hmm. you know, potentially, you know, the need for big, big, big form factor chips might be switching to, you know, we need a lot of small form factor, highly dynamic FPGA. I, I could see all this stuff becoming much more small footprint environments and then locality becomes um simpler right you ship in raw materials you get out finished goods or at least closer to it yeah, yeah. okay but right. sorry can I, can I just interject here you have to remember that the electronics industry itself is the most convoluted and complex supply chain there is mm. there is none more complex and from that perspective, you have right now you have outsourced design, you have business process outsourcing, you have third three PL and logistics, you have weird combinations of high volume, low mix, uh, low volume, uh, low mix, high volume factories. You've got specialties. You've got all the um, merge and transit kind of models that go on on a regular basis it's a nightmare i mean i i have a diagram i can give you that took me years to be able to create and it's gotten splintered off and split off even more so to the point of, of location of materials yeah you've got iceland right they're doing a lot of mining of rare earth minerals there you have vietnam you have india india does actually all the bpo and odm for the semicon industry yeah. And it has for years and years. That's how Tata got to be so big. That was their first foray, was designing that stuff. But now in the U.S., because you also have a maker's market, and you have a lot of small industrials, small industry sectors specialized to A, like whether it's food and beverage or shoe manufacturing or whatever, whatever, whatever is left in manufacturing in the U.S., those supply chains have the p potential to grow very large as to your point rob uh, a micro setup designed for each 
kind of industry that it wants to support. And that's where I think it's going to go over the next five years. And that's where the CHIPS Act, I think, is going to help the most because they'll produce those things needed for automotive, those things needed for food and beverage, those things needed for whatever other bigger industry there is. So what will happen is instead of the electronics industry providing the raw and semi-finished goods for 10 other industries, you'll now have 10 versions of that for 20 industries or 50 industries, each with certain specialized requirements. Now that said, the the, the, the equipment manufacturers and the ultimate customers are going to be the the arbiters of that of, of that because they're going to have to feel confident enough that there will be supply, mm-hmm. that there will be support, and oh, that and, and that um, there are you know in there are enough sources that they're not hamstrung and basically getting themselves into you know a repeat. At a micro scale, you know, a repeat of the TSMC situation, whether it's in the U.S. or anywhere else. Well, this is this is part of the question I was I was getting to is like with global instability and our lessons from supply chain, which you know I think those are those are going to you know alter how we build supply chains over the next two decades at least, right? I think it's going to take a while for for the you know that to be baked in. But, you know, global instability with China threatening Taiwan, there's a part of me that's like, all right, you know, any company who depends on components from Taiwan and, you know, China, I think people are already starting to shift and say, oh, wait, that's not good. Anything that has, you know, potential to be disrupted by Russia, um, you know, also not, good. not good, right? I mean, so we're looking at things were like, okay, wait a second, I, I have to make sure that my supply chain that runs through Taiwan, you know, maybe that's not such a good idea. Maybe even South Korea, depending on, you know, you could you could start to look at that and say, okay, wait a second, I don't trust, you know, I, I trust the the, com- the, the, the the democracies that are in place there, but I don't trust their neighbors. Um, I think Russia's invasion of Ukraine has has shown us that having you know, an ambitious neighbor on your, you know, is disruptive. Or or even the environment with the floods in South Korea. Oh shoot, yeah. Or even or even your eco. But but what yeah. I'm really one right. worrying about is that everyone's panicking about supply chain now. And in a decade they're gonna forget about it and go back to the old <laughs> Because we, we see that happening in security, we, we see on, on, on every other aspect of IT. So I, I agree with you that this is actually, but I think that the supply chain knee-jerk reaction is is, is going to take five years to unfold. Like I think today people are, are trying to find alternate suppliers. Maybe they'll, you know, a year or two from now go, okay, I'm not worried about it, but global events keep conspiring to reinforce the my supply chains are too long or you know and and pull pull back i think once that gets baked in um especially with the chips act and this is my my interpretation the chips act is actually pouring gasoline on the supply chain uh contraction 
And I think the politics of, of global supply chains, whether you're a globalist or not, I think that even the people who, who want a global supply chain and global trade, everybody's sort of looking at that saying, huh, you know what, more local supply is a good thing. I, I, I can get behind that. And but they not, can't not, absorb even the if cost. it's not local, alternative sources, you know, a, a, mm. a distribution of sources from, you know, where you can have a reasonable expectation that there will be a source. And, you know, it's 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 a business continuity argument that says I may have to I may have to dial stuff back. I may have to. um Put prioritization on you know you know what is essential, what is non-essential, what's you know discretionary. But I definitely do need to be able to you know have a reasonable assurance that there is a supply of whatever the the, the element or component is that we're talking about is available. That, and this... if it's from Mexico, if it's from Argentina, if it's from India. Okay. This is, however, this however tampered by uh, by by cost ratios. Like if if company A has a diversified supply, uh, but uh, company B with single supply is undercutting them. Yeah. Uh, then. Well, that, I mean, company A either needs to that's what a single supplier on on to to stay in the that's market. What led, that's what has led to the you know to the ascendancy of Taiwan and the single source. Exactly, yeah. that's exactly what, right. So what, what that what, does start to look like, Klaus, in my mind, is um, the impact on how governments, and I say in the plural um treat this industry and modify the um the incentives the tax uh the tax codes the um you know how they're how they how they account for um intellectual property they're gonna they're gonna have to change a lot in order to make it a longer term longer term planning horizon and take away the incentive or the necessity for a lot of companies including the bigs like intel to be you know running their companies on a quarter by quarter basis but i think part of the part of what you're going to see emerge very quickly and I don't believe it's a five-year time horizon. I think it's probably more like a year and 18 months to two years. You're going to see the rebirth of vertically integrated manufacturing mm -hmm. because the Foxconn model worked for Apple. It's Intel, you know, when I was there, when I was at IBM, when I was at Celestica, it's a copy exactly repeat model. And they used to be, all the semicons used to be vertically integrated manufacturers, all the aerospace industry, all the automotive industry, all you're going to see happen is somebody will flip back to the old mentality of we have better control, we can get the cost down if we manage this 
all ourselves. And what you're going to see is a lot of consolidation because they will go and buy up whatever factory space they can. They'll drain the brain power out of other companies in the software side to bring back the old fashioned, you know, you work for the same company for the next 20 years, kind of engineering R and D they'll throw money at it. It's, it's, that's Ford, the it's Ford's river Rouge. Yep. Exactly. It's small. So, yeah. So we refer to Ford, by the way, as found on road dead. <laughs> <laughs> But, but that's what I think is going to happen very quickly. I can see the CHIPS Act being the catalyst for that kind of scenario because it's very easy to sort of go, hey, I have these 22 suppliers that are all small, but if I allocate based on an eighth of the job to each, you know, each of the top 10, I can then slowly but surely absorb them into my vertically integrated manufacturing. And I don't need to look offshore because and, I can drive my own costs down. And that nuance is going to have to kind of percolate up <laughs> to government. Look at yeah. FTC, for example, in, in the U.S. I, I, I have nothing but admiration and, and for, for Lena Khan, for example. Mm -hmm. and what she is doing with the FTC. But there will have to be a much more nuanced approach to merger, acquisition, the construction of these verticals. It can, it, there will be a different set of criteria. Yeah. I, what y'all are describing is the incentives are aligned for, for big companies to get bigger. And take advantage of of these incentives rather than uh, towards innovation. Um, no, no, I don't think so. Okay. Oh, okay. Good. I I do think so. However, I I, I think uh, the, the 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 scales are balanced in favor of monopoli monopolization, and they are today. Uh, yeah, particularly with vertical integration. That that's how you end up with with a monopoly in, in the end. So it. It needs to be counterbalanced. I, I'm not sure vertical integration is going to be the the, the right solution for for a stable market. I, I it's definitely going to be the right solution for the company that looks to be that looks to become a, a leader. But but I, I don't think it's going to be the right solution for a stable market. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I I don't know what the right solution is going to be. Uh, I think it's going to be a mix of incentives and deterrence. Like they, they, like if there's a, a, a legislation saying there must be multiple sources, otherwise it, it, it cannot be here. Like sure, like mm -hmm. some companies might decide to pick up and go, uh, but they do it anyway, e even even when they get incentives. So if it ends up looking like the U.S. auto industry, where there were you know basically three. two three powerhouses, and then they. They basically kept another one or two out there so that they could make the argument that it was a <laughs> it was a free market. Um, you're absolutely right. The duopolies, yeah, yeah. I mean, there are duopolies. You know, there are there are duopolies in the in the the information aggregator of the markets that we deal with. You know, um, 
And there's there's supposed to be, there's supposedly, you know, economic theory would say, um, you know, yeah, Google, Facebook, you know, anybody could come in and compete with them. They're aggregators. They're not. They, how can they be monopolies? How can they be monopolistic? Well, guess what? They are. So, I, to Klaus's point, this is a this is a much more nuanced and hard to sort problem, but it it feels like there are ways of avoiding, you know, a repeat. And that kind of single source. Well, I, I, I certainly hope so. I'm not saying it's the right solution. I'm just seeing how it's starting to evolve and it seems to be moving in that direction. You mm -hmm. know, kind of what, what's old is new. I don't disagree that, five, you know, like five behemoths and that's all you got is, is the way to go. But that's what you have in software right now. Well, I I think it, it, it's a swinging market. It, it goes back and forth. Just just like we go back and forth between uh, central servers and distributed computing or, mm -hmm. or, or client side computing, um, it, it, it goes back and forth between global markets and, and vertical integration. Uh, just the period the period is, is is larger because it's in the physical world and, and not the digital one. <laughs> I think in well, part it's know, going to be it's going to be defined by the the number and the frequency of you know crises and disruptions that we encounter you know whether it's political whether it's economic whether it's um, environmental environmental exactly and the the frequency of those those disruptions are going to basically say look you have to consider the risks and and in light of you know managing those risks you need diversification you need multiple sources and 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 the like market pressure i, I tell yeah. you what rich we'll trade you some water for some chips <laughs> deal you know okay, so uh, you know the, the Canadian shield would be right. would be a very very stable place to to, to put fats like no Pardon? earthquakes, no like stable stable climate, uh, access to to the water. Where the the, the Canadian Shield? Yeah, uh, it, it, we we have a like a, a very very large, very stable geolo geological feature. Uh, and, and, the, and the weather and the and the weather the winters are getting better every year. <laughs> Milder. Well, really. That's actually a, that's actually a sad joke. Um, that's a very sad joke. I have, I have an um, interesting, y'all are making me think a little bit about a book by Cory Doctorow called Walk Away. Um, pretty recent, if you haven't read it. Um, what is it? It's, um, it's, it's set in the, the near present um, at a time when people are leaving. They're basically, there's enough 3D printing and open source tech and things like that that people are walking away from the they call the default way of, of life, all the corporate things like that, and basically setting up communes um, in, 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 in unused tracts of America is where this is set in Canada. Um, uh, 3D printing plays a big, and, and, and just-in-time manufacturing plays a big part in, in this. It's fun. It's an interesting thought. And then it gets into 
uh, human upload, uh, which then and the the disruption of uh, what I guess it ends up being a singularity book. Um, but uh, if you haven't read it, 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 there's elements that you're talking about with the 3D printing and distributed manufacturing, and then uh, megaopolis um, that that are interesting. You know, classic Cory Doctorow sort of. Uh, take something, pulls it just a little bit to the to an extreme, and then writes a story around it. Recent, um, so if, uh, what's it? Who's the guy? Doctor, Cory Doctor. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Canadian, y'all, y'all. Should... We're too busy <laughs> reading journals, you know, like tech. <laughs> tech. <laughs> yeah. it, this this was this, it, it's a fun little read. Great conversation. I feel like my head is exploding on, on Chip's act. Wow, what a robust conversation. We really take apart key elements of society, governance, raw materials, uh, geopolitical instability, and put it back together in, in really fascinating ways. And it is worth noting, we do have a track record of being accurate of the things that we're predicting and looking for have come about. So if you want to be a part of this type of dynamic and remarkable, I would say rich, but he's part of the conversation too, remarkable conversations, you can join us at 2030.cloud. Uh, come in, be part of it, ask great questions. That is what these roundtables are for. I'll see you there. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly. Or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.